Well, good morning, Thrive Church. I want to welcome all of you who are here this morning. I want to welcome all those online who are watching us in the 715 area code. My name is Pastor Sheldon Miles, and I'm the pastor of this awesome church. Wasn't that just a great time in worship this morning? Can we just give uh, our worship team just an... An applause for the great job that they did this morning. I want to say thank you to Thrive Church. Uh, last week was pastor appreciation, and uh, so many of you uh, extended uh, words of appreciation and encouragement and uh, gifts and cards. We got all these, just a, a book of cards from the students of our children's ministry, and so uh, thank you. Thank you. We, we definitely feel blessed. Um, so one thing that we are starting to do is starting to really recognize what we do in the area of missions, not only here in our community, but in, in to all of around the world, we are, you, whether you realize it or not, you are making an impact in, uh, in missionaries, missions all around the world. And so we want to just highlight, every third Sunday, we want to highlight a missionary, our missions work that we are currently working with. And today I want to highlight um, Brandon and Rachel Powell. Uh, they are personal friends of ours. And I, I want you to know, Brandon and Rachel, they are just ordinary people, just like you, okay? God, that's what, when you look at God's word, he uses, he works through ordinary people. Just point at yourself right now. I'm talking about you. He works through ordinary people just like yourself to change our world, and so I'm just really excited about this. I want you to just watch this video here, and we're going to talk about them in just a moment. Hey, we are the Powell family empowering the church in Thailand. We want to extend a huge thank you to your team for supporting our family's ministry in Thailand, especially during a crazy few years. We are beyond grateful for your great sacrifice in giving to missions all over the world. We have finished our first term in Thailand and are excited to share that we gave birth to our son, Leo, in February. He and his sisters are doing so well. Thank you so much for praying for us during the pregnancy. Throughout this year, we'll be all over the U.S. sharing with new and old partners at churches and in homes about how God is using our family to empower the Thai church to reach their communities and plant churches where the gospel has never been planted. This past term, you supported our ministry as we dove into the culture and studied the Thai language. And you heard testimonies of how we partnered with God to share his redemptive story to people through fun workshops, youth prison outreaches, school programs, and university ministries. And you partnered with us as we helped plant a church in Karat, Thailand in December 2020 and helped get their outreach ministry off the ground. And this next term, we will be partnering closely with this church to help empower them and other churches to plant more churches through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can find more info about our family's ministry at our website, gopowgo.org. Thank you for partnering with our ministry to complete this great unfinished task. You know, uh, again, personal friends with uh, the pals. And so I think sometimes in life, we, we look at our circumstances and our situations, and we think, I could never do that. Or you might say, well, pastor, you have no idea some of the situations and challenges that I deal with. And I, you know, I could do something like that, but this situation holds me back. Well, uh, just a few years ago, uh, the pals were called to go to the country of Thailand, and all of a sudden, there was a tumor found in Rachel's lungs. And even it got to the point where they had to remove one of her lungs. 
So the Rachel that you just saw there, she's just working with one of her lungs, giving praise, giving shout out, giving worship to God, leading people to become life-giving followers of Jesus in the country of Thailand. And if God can work through somebody's pain and misery in, in that situation in the country of Thailand, God can work through you in the 715. And so I wanna encourage you to be praying for them. In fact, uh, one of the things I wanna announce this morning is we have made a commitment that we are going to go to Thailand we're going to go to Thailand next year, next November, and I want to ask you to pray and ask God, God, are you calling me to go on a short-term missions trip to Thailand next year? Why don't we just let that, let that seed be planted in you and you pray about that. We're going to have an information meeting about this Sunday, November 13th, so approximately a one month from now at the end of the service. If you have an interest to work with the PALS in the country of Thailand, uh, I want you to, you can sign up today. Just say, hey, I'm interested, okay? I'm interested. You can even put a question mark behind your name. Um, and then we will give you more information about that. So can we just do this? Can we just take a moment and just pray for Brandon and Rachel? In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, that you work in and through just ordinary people. You work miracles in ordinary people's lives so that they can be used as vessels of your love all around the world. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to anoint the vision that you've given to them, that you would begin to put pieces into place, that you would provide provision, you will provide leaders, God, so that when they get back into Thailand, Lord, it all begins to fall into place, lives changed, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's going to do in the country of Thailand and what he's going to do in and through your life. Well, I'm, I'm really excited today to get started with a new sermon series, and I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I have been preparing for this one for a while, and I'm, this one has just been a tough one because of the significance of of this issue, and I, I want to encourage you, we're going to, t we're going to spend about six weeks on this topic of identity, your identity, discovering who you really are, not, that, not who you think you are, not who the world says that you are, but who Christ says this, that you are. So in this sermon series, I want to help you understand what God says about you. Aren't you interested? Aren't you interested? Aren't you kind of curious? You know, are you, you, you get curious when somebody says, well, they've been talking about you. Well, what have they said about me? What did they think about me? Well, I want to talk about what God says about you and what God thinks about. This is such an important issue, our identity. In fact, there was a, a story of a gentleman uh, years ago in Georgia. This man, a homeless man, was found behind a dumpster, and he was naked, and when they, he came, they brought him to in his consciousness, he had complete amnesia. Did I say that right? Amnesia. Yes. And he had no idea who he was. Well, they got the FBI involved, and they checked his fingerprints and checked all the records. They could not find out who this guy was. So they employed Dr. Phil. They got Dr. Phil involved, got this guy on television, did an interview, and like, if you know this guy, contact this number. You know how many phone calls they got? Zero. For years, even to this day, nobody knows who this guy is. This man does not even know. Wouldn't that be terrible? 
to not know who you are. And you know, there's many Christians who are living today in that same condition, not knowing who they really are in the eyes of God. And I think, I don't think, I know I know many of the, the, the struggles, the challenges, the pain that you suffer, even the pain and challenges that I suffer today come because I buy into a false identity. I think that I know who I am. I try to, 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 to build myself on, on, on these, these things, these ideas, and they never, they're never true. They always leave me disappointed. Craig Rochelle says this. He says, to learn who I am, I've had to learn who I am not. You are not what others think about you. You are not your past. You are not what you did. You are who God says that you are. And I want you to get that out of this sermon series. Understand who God says that you are. Your identity is not what you do. It's not how much you have. It's not what happened to you. It's not where you've been. It's not what you wear. It's not where you work. It's not your relationship status. That is not your identity. Your identity is this. Your identity is you are the person, the person you really are as defined by God. That is your identity, the person you really are, defined by God. You see, your identity is given to you, not by this world, not by your parents, not by all those things that I mentioned before, but your identity is given to you by God. He alone defines who you are. You are who God says that you are. Dr. Neil Anderson, who does a lot of study. There's a lot of resources on this topic, but he says this, it isn't what we do that determines who we are. Who we are determines what we do. That's why this is so important, because our identity, what we believe about ourselves, shapes how we live our lives. It shapes what we do, and it shapes our thought life, our feelings, our emotions. Every single day is because of our identity. And here's the issue. Here's what you, you really need to understand this. You need to understand that there is a war, an actual war that is going on, and it's a battle over your identity. Did you know that? There is a war, and we know that, they, we understand that, that battle, the battle of God and Satan, and really, it's over your identity. What, what, do we believe what Satan says about us, or do we believe what God says about us? It says here in Ephesians six twelve, the apostle Paul says, he says, for our struggle, your struggle, each and every person who's in this room today or watching online, you're in the midst of a struggle, Right? Who am I? Why do I exist? That what, the struggle, he says, this struggle that we have, it's not in your mind. It's against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the, as he said, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a battle. And the issue is over this thing called identity theft. Identity theft. Identity theft is when somebody pretends to be someone that they're not. Have you ever been a victim? I hope you're never a victim of identity theft. It's a terrible thing. You see, when somebody gets a hold of your identity and you don't know it, they have a lot of power over your life, right? 
They have the power to get into your bank account, to get your social security number. They can do a lot of damage. They can put you into a lot of debt. As a matter of fact, the cost of identity theft is huge. 1.5 million, last year, 1.5 million fake tax returns were turned into the government last year. Last year, our government gave out five billion dollars paid out to that 1.5 million tax, false tax returns. It's expensive. It's an issue. It's a problem. And this is exactly what Satan does to us. He tries, he does this every single day, trying to steal your identity, to put you in a state of poverty and despair. So this morning, I want to talk about, before I really dive into this, I, I think we need to lay a foundation on this topic, okay? So that's what this morning is, laying out a foundation. Because if, if this is who God says I am, and this is what the enemy says about I am, I need to know their identity. I don't want to talk about the enemy's identity and God's identity. So who is your enemy, it's important that we understand who our enemy is. In John 10, 10, Jesus says this about the enemy of your soul. He says this, the thief. And when he talks about the thief, he's talking about Satan, the devil. He does exist, okay? Maybe that's news to some of you, but he does exist. And his purpose, his purpose, his mission statement, his plan for your life is to steal, to kill and destroy, steal, kill, and destroy. And, I, and I, I put it like this. I think that Satan, he wants to steal your identity. He wants you to get you to believe a lie about yourself. So he tries every single day to steal your identity. No, 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 you're not a child, God. You're worthless. You're weak. You're pathetic. You can never do that. Why even try? He's always lying. How many of you have heard those voices? You've heard those statements said to you before. He wants to steal your identity. He wants, if he can steal your identity, then he's, he's gonna begin to kill your faith, your belief in God, and security rises up within us, and that destroys our hope. And when he destroys our hope, that's when he has us. Stealing hope leads to all kinds of problems. And how does he do this? He does this by constantly lying to you about your identity. That's why this, this topic is so important. We need to know who we are. So who is Satan? Who is Satan? What, what is his identity? Well, you need to understand his, his background a little bit to understand where he came from. He Originally, do you know that Satan, his, his original name was Lucifer, and he was one of God's top angels. He was called, he was an archangel. It's one of the top angels in heaven. And he is a spiritual being. So the other archangels that are mentioned in the Bible, there's Michael, and then there's Gabriel, and then there was Lucifer. And he was a worship leader in heaven. But one day, I don't know what happened, but something got into his mind, and he decided he wanted to be like God. And a rebellion happened in the heavens. And the Bible tells us that one-third, one-third of all the angels in heaven joined with Lucifer 
and his task and his journey uh, of destruction, death and destruction. And he left heaven. He was cast out of heaven. And he has been an enemy and an adversary against not only God, but against you, his child, ever since. His plan is to get you to doubt God's love, to doubt his faithfulness, and to doubt God's motives. And here's what the Bible says about Satan's identity. Number one, his identity is he's a deceiver. You can look up some of I encourage you to look up some of these passages throughout this week. You follow along in your sermon notes. But he's a deceiver. He uses deception. He pretends to be someone or something that he is not. And he's good at it. In other words, the Bible says that he disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, some of you, you may be joining your kids with trick-or-treating. Your kids are going to be dressed up as different different whatever. I've seen some people that dress up in those dinosaur outfits. I love that, those little dinosaur outfits, and they walk around like this, and, and, if you, and then they walk up to little kids, and the little kid really believes that's a real dinosaur. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's deception. It's not the real thing. He is not who he claims to be. Number two, Satan is, you need to understand, he is a liar. Jesus tells us about him in John 8, that he says that he hates the truth. There is no truth in him. He is a chronic liar. Have you ever met somebody who is a chronic liar before? They, they just, every word that comes out of their mouth is like, that's not true. That's not true. No, that's not true. But they're really good at it. The way, they, they, the way that they twist it, the way that they stretch it, like, well, maybe that is true. You know, a really good liar because like, well, maybe, just maybe. What Jesus says Satan is so good at this that he is the father of lies. Understand, Satan has been perfecting this technique for years, thousands of years. He is a liar. He's a liar. He is an accuser, Revelations 12, 10. 12, 10. How many of you have ever, uh, you ever seen on television watching the news and they're, they're doing a, a, a segment on protesters? And these protesters, they're upset with an organization or they're upset with a person or a, a political figure. And they get out and they you know, have these big old signs and they have these megaphones. And what are they screaming? You ever seen these people? Shame, 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 shame. How many of you ever seen that before? Shame, shame, shame. They signs, shame, shame, shame. That's what Satan does in your mind each and every day. What you did, shame. Shame on you. Shame on you. That's what accusers do. And they try to get you to buy into that lie that you, can, you did something so wrong. Yeah, maybe that's the truth. But you'll never change. That's your identity. You're stuck with it. Shame on you. That's what accusers do. The Bible says that he is a prowler. Prowler, 1 Peter 5, 8. A prowler is someone, a person or an animal that moves through an area in a very stealthy manner for its own intentions. The Bible says here that he, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you ever watch those documentaries on, on, on the, uh, where they have, where all the lions are, safari, that's the word I was thinking of. And they'll do a little documentary of what lions do, and this is what they do. This is how they, they, they capture their prey 
through prowling. And they just begin to crawl through the grass and through the weeds. They get closer and closer and closer to their prey. And they're sneaking up on them just, just quietly. And you know what they're looking for? This is what lions are always looking for. They are looking for those, those animals who are complacent, are not paying attention. Not really, you know, I'm so fast. There's, even if there was a lion out there, he could never catch me. So I'm just going to be complacent. He's looking for those who are wounded and hurting and just kind of out there on their own. And those are his favorite victims, a lion looking for who he can devour. The Bible says that Satan is a tempter. A tempter is one who puts things or ideas out in front of you that you know you shouldn't have. Now, I'm convinced of this. Uh, We have just noticed we noticed it a little bit happening growing in Green Bay when we lived in that area. But oh my word, how many quick trips are there in Wausau? How many quick trips? Are we at triple digits yet for a quick trip? You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that Satan is the CEO of quick trip. You know why? You know why? How many of you you go into the store and you need to, you buy something, you buy bananas, because they got really good deals on bananas there. And you buy bananas, and what do you have to do to get to that cash register? You have to go through, I call it the gauntlet. The gauntlet of temptation, right? How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? The gauntlet of temptation they put out on those tables that you must walk through every single thing that you know you should not have, you do not need, and it always tastes delicious, but it makes you feel bad later on. The gauntlet of temptation. And that's what Satan does. (laughs) Satan, listen, you know that statement? Here's the truth of this. You need to understand, Satan is really good at tempting people. But how many of you have heard that statement, the devil made me do it? How many of you have heard that statement before? That statement is not true. Satan can tempt you, and he's very good at it. He knows how to set up a gauntlet of temptation in your life. But ultimately, the choice and the responsibility is yours. Yes, he tempts you to do things, but you have this thing given to you by God called free choice. Look at your neighbor and say, I have free choice. I'm the one who chooses. Satan does the tempting. I do the choosing. I do the choosing. He is an oppressor, an oppressor. The the word oppression means overwhelming feeling of being overwhelmed by something. I know that that's, it's being overwhelmed. I'm just being overwhelmed. And he tries to get us into these things that the Bible talks about called strongholds. That's another message for another day. But we know what strongholds are. It's just that huge battle. It just seems so oppressive, that thing that's going on in my life. And maybe we really have listened to the enemy's voice. That thing that we did, we know that it was wrong, and all we hear every single day, shame, shame, shame. And we begin to buy into the lie, well, that must be who I really am. 
I really am that person. Or we, we buy into this stronghold of bitterness. Pastor, you have no idea what that person did to me. I could never forgive them. And when we buy into that lie, I can never forgive. It always evolves into bitterness. Or maybe you're here today and because of your pain, you have bought into a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, and it's turned into an addiction. And that's all you can think about day and night is I gotta have that thing that makes me feel good. And ultimately, so many of these things and more leads into this, this thing that's an epidemic in our country today, depression, depression. But I want you to know this morning, Satan's power is limited. I could go on this morning, but I want you to know his power is limited. But understand this, Satan's power is limited but he has as much power in your life that you allow him to. Can we just stop and think about that? Satan's power is so limited, so limited compared to the power that God puts in your life, but he will always have as much power as you give him in your life. So we can understand. I'm going to go a little bit deeper on our enemy so that we understand who he is and what he does. We can understand him by seeing our enemy in action. We, we go, all we have to do is go back to the beginning of our Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We hear about this incident called the fall. And we hear, we, we remember I, in the stories of, you know, say Adam and Eve, they, they, they fell. They fell into temptation. They fell into sin. And now we are suffering as a, as a result today. But what's the background on that story? Well, we know that Adam and Eve, they were created by God and they were living in paradise. They were living in perfect relationship with God, man and his creator, just as God had designed it. At the very beginning, God's greatest desire is to have relationship with you. But Satan came along to disrupt that relationship. And, and so he says here, the serpent, who was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made, one day he, Satan, asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Do you see the confusion now? Do you see how he's working, the deceptiveness, the disunity that he's trying to create, beginning to question God? Well, wait, well, well, no, Satan, no. He didn't say I couldn't eat any of the trees. He just said that one tree, just that one tree, but all of a sudden putting doubt in, in their minds. And she, and she says, of course we may eat, eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden and that we are not allowed to eat it. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. When we sin, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And right here, they, she, she's reminding Satan, oh, Satan, when have I given in to that, I, I know the consequences for my choices. Satan tempted them, though, through his tactics. Look, 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 how, look how sharp he is with, with how he moves. He, he said to her, first of all, he says, you won't die. You won't die. Well, that is a lie. That is a lie because the Bible tells us we will die. Not only will we die a physical death, but we'll die a spiritual death. 
But then he counters then with a truth. It says, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. Well, that is the truth. Their eyes were open. They began to discover the difference between right and wrong. But then there was a half-truth. And you will be like God, false, knowing good and evil, truth. Do you, do you see the deceptiveness? And that's what deceptive people do. People who are working in deception, they twist truth by using lies, half-truths, and truths. And where did he go? Satan won after their vulnerabilities, the three biggest temptations, the three best donuts in the store. Says that he went after her eyes. Said that she saw the tree and it was beautiful. This is called, this is known as the lust of the eyes. Have you ever fallen into that trap? You, it's, a, it's quick trip all over again. You see that donut. I have to have that donut. I, as a result of this sermon, I'm just convinced the stock price of Quick Trip is going to go down as a result of this congregation here. But we desire, we look at that. You ever have that feeling and you're just, your mouth begins to water? I have to have that because of what I see. We know that they fell for the lust of the flesh and, it, and said that, and she looked at the fruit and it looked delicious. In other words, if I have that donut, it will make me feel good. It will fulfill that need that I have. But then there's also the pride of life. And it said that, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her because then I could be like God. I would have a, I wouldn't be just a normal human being. I would have a position, a status. I would have power. So in verse six and seven, we see Adam and Eve, they give in to temptation and said, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Understand this. They, I just want to remind you, they willingly made this decision. They understood the consequences, but they chose sin. They chose to believe a lie. Over, the, over living the truth. Let me say that one more time. They chose to believe a lie over living the truth, and they immediately suffered the consequences. Their eyes were open. Their innocence was lost. Immediate shame, and they tried to hide. Have you ever been in this place before? You ever been in that place when you just like, oh, man. Oh, I know what I did. Oh, Oh, why did I do that? Just this shame and condemnation. I just want to hide. I just want to run and hide. I want you to understand this morning, that, that is, that's the enemy. I don't want to talk about him anymore. I want to talk about your advocate. I want to talk about God. Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, he finishes. He says, this is what Satan has tried to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. You see, God has a plan for your life. Just as Satan has a plan for your life, God has a plan for your life. 
Jesus came to this earth to help you here on this earth that you may have life more abundantly here on earth and that you may have eternal life. But it only happens, both of them only happen through Jesus. Through Jesus. There's nothing in this world that you're gonna find in this world that can take the place of Jesus. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important, is, is the most important thing about us. In other words, what we think about God, our Heavenly Father, says a lot about who we are today. Let me just say that one more time. What you believe about God probably explains why you are where you are today and how you're living your life today. So who's God? Who is God? We know about the enemy, but who is God? Well, the Bible says that he is the Alpha and Omega. And so if you don't know what Greek, he is the beginning. He was there at the very beginning. Whenever the beginning of time was, he was the beginning. And he's the very end. In other words, God is eternal. He always existed and he always will. Let me continue on. God is your creator, And it says here that he, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And some people ask me, do I believe in the Big Bang Theory? I don't know much about that. I would never did really good in science. All I know is that I'm confident, I'm very confident that when God created the heavens and the earth, it made a big bang. That's all I know. He's our creator. He created all the atoms. He created all the animals. He created Adam and Eve. And he created you. God created you. You are not a mistake. You're God's creation. Our God is holy. The word holy means to be cut off, to be separated from sin. There's no trace of sin in God's character. God cannot and he will not tolerate sin. He is the three omnis. Let me quickly go through these. We've heard these phrases. These are the attributes of God. He is omnipresent. He is he's everywhere. He is omnipotent. He is, he, there's nothing that he cannot do. I'm sorry, omnipotent, yes, um, some people ask, is there, yeah, is there anything that God cannot do? There's a couple things. First of all, the only thing God cannot do is act in contrary to his character and his nature. God cannot do it. He will not do it. He cannot lie. He cannot, cannot contradict himself, and he cannot sin. He's omnipotent, omniscient. In other words, he knows everything. God even knows your heart. God is love. God is love. Some have said love is our most powerful force in all of the universe. Listen to what Albert Einstein said here. He wrote a letter to his daughter in, his, in the late uh, days of his life. Let me, a little, a little lengthy here, but let me read it to you. Albert Einstein to his daughter. He says, there is an extremely powerful force that so far science has not found a formal explanation to. It is a force that includes and governs all others and is even behind any phenomenon operating in the universe and has not yet been identified by us. This universe force is love. 
when scientists looked for a unified theory of the universe, they forgot the most powerful unforeseen force, unseen force. Love is light that enlightens those who give and receive it. Love is gravity because it makes some people feel attracted to others. Love is powerful because it multiplies the best we have and allows humanity not to be extinguished in their blind selfishness. Love unfolds and reveals. This force explains everything and gives meaning to life. This is the variable that we have ignored for too long, maybe because we are afraid of love because it is the only energy in the universe that man has not learned to drive at will. If we want our species to survive, if we are to find meaning in life, if we want to save the world and every sentiment being that inhabits it, love is the one and only answer. For love for love we live and die. Love is God, and God is love. Man, that's powerful. God created love. He defines what it is, and God perfects it, perfect, perfectly demonstrates it for us. We know this in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, 8 says this, that God loves you so much that even while you're in your sin, God still died for you. Even when you were giving him the bird and say, I reject you, I don't even believe in you, God still loves you. And here's the last attribute I want to talk about this morning. And I struggled with this one. Like maybe some of you will struggle and do struggle with this one. God is our Father. Throughout the Bible, it's declared God is our Father. Even Jesus says this in the Lord's Prayer. He says, This is how you should pray Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus tells us, God. Is Father. But the reality is, many of you are here today and you struggle with that view of God because of the hurt and the pain that you have felt and experienced from your earthly father. You see, many of our views of, our, of God, Father, has been contaminated by our experience growing up. You see, this is, this, this is called father wounds. When we have father wounds, we view God as not this loving God, but we believe God as more of an un. He is, no, 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 no. God is unloving. He's uncaring. He's unforgiving. He's unhappy with my behavior. He is untrustworthy. Where do we get all of these uns? Because of the pain that maybe we have suffered. He's always angry with me. You don't know my father. He's the most perverted man I've ever met. And this, what happens then is this father wound can become all-consuming in people's lives. Some of you are here today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And all of it, you, you've lived all of your life thinking in your mind, because of this father wound, I'm not good enough. I'm guilty. I'm shameful. I've got to work harder. I've got to prove myself because of the words that have been spoken over me. And you live your life trying to live up to this standard, trying to just get, get through life. But I want to tell you this morning, in order to accept the truth of God as your father, you've got to find healing in your father wound. At age 24, 
I recognized that I had a father wound in my life. Begin to study identity and learned about father wounds. And I'm not gonna get into my father wounds. I'm not claiming to be a victim in any way, shape, or form. But there was a wound inside of me. And it was truly affecting my identity, affecting how I was living my life, affecting my choices. I knew it was affecting me. And when I chose not to live that way anymore, I knew that I needed to forgive my earthly father. And I was in a conversation with somebody about this topic, and they were trying to help me through it. And I just remember this, if I can just be disgusting here for just a second, I remember that as I began to choose and I spoke the words, I forgive you. It felt, you ever been sick to your stomach, you had the flu, and you're just like, I'm gonna throw up, I'm gonna throw up, and you're like, okay, that, that was disgusting. But once you threw up, you felt so much better. That was me. Ah, all of that junk and infection and disease and sickness that was built up inside of me. And it all came out when I said, I forgive you. I no longer hold you responsible for what you did. I'm not gonna hold that against you anymore. And I chose to accept and love my father as my heavenly father chooses to accept and love me. And I chose from that day on not to live the lies that the enemy was trying to have me believe anymore. And this, I can't tell you, this was a defining moment. I feel like I'm back in that, that, that office that day. It was a defining moment in my life and I'm telling you, for some of you, this can be a defining moment in your life. This has been the thing that has held you back is your view of God the Father and your need to forgive your earthly father and the father wounds that have been put on you. You see, it's only in accepting the love of your heavenly father that you're going to find the acceptance you're looking for. You're gonna find the security you're looking for. You're gonna find the freedom and you're gonna discover the truth of your identity. So I wanna speak to those who are wounded today. Are you, ready to, are you ready to accept your new identity? Are you ready to live the life of freedom? Are you ready to forgive? I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads with me right now. And this is a very, very personal thing, okay? I'm gonna ask all heads be bowed right now. All heads. I'm gonna ask you, because I wanna pray for you, not to raise your hand, but I want you to look at me. If you are here today and you have your, your life, your identity has been shaped by a father wound and you've had a hard time accepting God as your father, you, need, you know that you need healing in your life. Will you just look at me for a moment? Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I know. Your father let you down. Your dad's not perfect. He hurt you. 
God loves you. God loves you. Father God, right now we come to you in this moment. And we know what, what the pain that is there, and we don't want to live in that pain any longer. So we're making the decision today not to live in that pain any longer. I'm not going to live there. Lord, right now I pray that we choose to forgive. Right now, if that's you, just whisper, just in your heart, I forgive you. I forgive you, Dad. I forgive you. And, I, and I'm, I choose to accept you and love you as God loves me. You don't owe me anymore. I choose not to live in the lies of the enemy any longer. In Jesus' name, healing across this room. Healing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I, I, my message was totally diverted this morning because I, was, I felt like people are stuck here. I didn't finish you. You look at the notes. I didn't finish because I felt like this needed to be dealt with. And I want you to know this is not an easy road. For some of you, the, the, this was the first step. Today was the first step of many steps forward. And I want, I want all of you to know, sometimes we need to get help. And it's okay to get help. And that help might be more than just a friend or somebody else. It might be somebody, a counselor, a pastor that you need to talk to. I want to encourage you, keep moving forward because the enemy doesn't like what the decision that you made today. And he's going to continue. He's going to lie. He's going to chatter. Da -da 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 -da. What about, what about, what about? He's going to try to bring you back. Don't listen to the lies anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to close with this scripture verse and we're going to talk about it next week. I wanted to talk about who are you. This is why this is so important. When you understand who the enemy is, you understand who God is, and now we need to understand who you are. Jesus says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God children of God. I want to ask you this morning, are you a child of God? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? If you've not done that today, you can become a child of God by just doing this. Just bow your heads with me and just say, God, I need you. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior, to forgive me of my sins, to come and live inside of me. I Forgive me. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I need you as my father. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give God praise for his salvation, for his identity?